Hey everyone, welcome to this special episode of All Things Photonics, where we explore the photonics industry's response to the COVID-19 global pandemic. As part of this coverage, we talked over Skype with one of the leading voices in biomedicine and photonics in Europe, Roberta Ramponi, who was recently honored by the Optics Society with the Robert E. Hopkins Leadership Award. Ramponi is the director of the CNR Institute for Photonics and Nanotechnology, as well as the president of the International Commission for Optics. As is the case with so many of you, we've moved editorial operations to our respective homes, which has quickly presented some production challenges, and we just want to thank you for your understanding. Also, our conversation with Dr. Ramponi took place while Italy was at the zenith of COVID-19 cases, a distinction that the U.S. now holds. There's been further theories posed on the origin of the virus as well. Thank you all for your support. It is time to answer some big questions about our universe. This is All Things Photonics, a podcast about the physical science of light, lasers, optics, and fascinating tech news. Each episode, you'll hear groundbreaking stories from around the world about the fibers of science, from its triumphant past to its audacious future. Brought to you by Photonics Media. This is Associate Editor Joel Williams. Here are this week's top stories. Researchers at the University of Central Florida are working to create a nanomaterial protective coating for masks used by healthcare workers that would intercept and kill viruses such as COVID-19. Power Technology Incorporated, a designer and manufacturer of laser products, made the recent decision to use supplies on hand to create hand sanitizer for employees and their families to combat the spread of COVID-19. Optics manufacturer Beacon Engineering is shifting its manufacturing focus to make face shields for medical staff and facilities. The company began redirecting part of its 10-person workforce in mid-March to turn out clear plastic shields for nurses, doctors, and healthcare providers to help in their efforts to treat COVID-19. The company has previously designed and built optical systems for NASA's Mars missions, as well as motorcycle helmet face shields and bomb disposal suit face shields. Edmund Optics and Mycobiomed have collaborated on a highly sensitive molecular diagnostic device, the Veracue PCR 316, which is capable of detecting COVID-19 within an hour. The device is being used in countries including Poland, Hungary, Romania, Ecuador, Bangladesh, Senegal, and Brazil. Mycobiomed is currently seeking FDA approval for use in the United States. BioKey International will donate to the American Red Cross a portion of the proceeds from the sale of its compact fingerprint scanners over the course of 2020. The donations will be designated to support the American Red Cross's COVID-19 response efforts. And finally, a team of 60 scientists, engineers, students, and clinicians have created a new website called n95decon.org, which synthesizes scientific literature about mask decontamination to create a set of best practices for decontaminating and reusing protective equipment, including the use of UV light. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Emmett. 
So my first question today regarding the uh, COVID-19 crisis in Italy, from your vantage point living in Italy, you see the effects of the coronavirus on photonics and optics industries in your country. And has it affected the research and development and the goals that were in place before the virus hit? Well, I think that uh, overall uh, uh, we can expect uh, some delay, of course, uh, uh, a delay of a few months in most of the activities uh, and uh, of the research projects. This stands both for optics industry, of photonics and optics industries, but also for the R&D goals in uh, research centers and institutions, in universities and so on and so forth. On the other side, uh, let's say that uh, all the problems related to uh, coronavirus and this uh, sanitary emergency are stimulating some kind of new approaches and new solutions, and some networks are uh, spontaneously growing uh, that also attract, uh, let's say, new actors that normally are not playing, uh, uh, or at least are not so strongly playing in the field of uh, R&D. Uh, like, for example, the Fab Labs or Maker Labs, whatever you want to call them, that normally are seen more as a place where people go for fun, I would say, or just uh, for uh, private things, uh, small things. And now they have been involved uh, uh, in the development of uh, instant solutions for local production, for example, through 3D printing, to meet also the needs of uh, local sanitary structures. Uh, so as to partially overcome all the problems that are related to mobility restrictions of people and uh, thus of goods. So hopefully, let's say, the creation of uh, these new networks uh, will have uh, on the long term a positive impact in the way we can work and we can involve, let's say, more people in the R&D processes. And when you're planning all of this, you're working through it, it must be kind of a challenge to try to uh, be a leader during this time. Is there something that you look to as a source of optimism and excitement uh, despite what's going on? Yes, well, let's say that uh, we are trying uh, to find uh, opportunities. I mean, we have more time, for example, to study. Uh, so we have more time to plan the future of our uh, research. In normal life, uh, everything is going always very, very fast. So now we have some time we can uh, more think about the future and uh, how we want uh, to plan our future activities. So I try to have frequent video meetings uh, with uh, the researcher of my institute, for example, so as to we can plan future activities and refine future strategies for our R&D. And I like to think about uh, uh, new areas that, uh, of research that uh, we can explore. Of course, there is a strong push in this period to find uh, applications of uh, optics, photonics uh, to everything that has to do with biomedical research because we feel it as, I mean, it's always... Uh, an area that is uh, very but in this moment it seems even more important for the future. So an area, for example, that fascinates me a lot is the area of uh, uh, lab chip models to simulate uh, the behavior of uh, human organs so as to test uh, immune response or uh, the drug action on diseases, uh, what we normally call the organs on chip. Of course, it's not only optics. Uh, optics is... Uh, 
used in these uh, models typically for the analysis, uh, spectroscopic analysis and imaging. But I think it's a fascinating and very promising field. Overall, let's say I'm very much uh, uh, intrigued and I see these fields with enthusiasm, uh, optimism, the excitement, uh, everything that is somehow related uh, to uh, what in general is called uh, the uh, digital twins application. And uh, in particular, of course, being, uh, let's say, on the optical part, so on the development of uh, sensors uh, and uh, uh, sensing infrastructures, it is uh, interesting to understand how we can develop uh, adequate uh, sensing infrastructure for providing sufficient and reliable data to make the digital model significant. Because nowadays we see a lot of push uh, to go towards uh, digital industry, digital society, and so on and so forth. But typically everything is based on uh, uh, big data analysis. But the feeling is that not everybody is conscious of what kind of significant data we really need to make this digital model really significant. And I think that, let's say, optical technologies can uh, help a lot in this respect. And uh, it's an area that I think it's uh, uh, very much motivating. Was there anything that, that was surprising to you about um, this particular virus or even the way the optics industry and the technology available responded to it? Well, um, what mainly surprised me is that despite the Chinese situation was, uh, I would say, reasonably well known when the virus presence became evident in other countries, there were some uh, significant delay in uh, recognizing the situation. And this helped a lot the spread and now puts us in this very, very difficult situation. Uh, so I think that uh, our society turns out to be more fragile than probably we expected. And we thought that with all uh, technologies we can manage, we would be much better prepared to react to an emergency situation. While probably initial measures were really quite mild, for sure too mild. I mean, we kept uh, traveling around without any serious control for quite a while after the virus had already spread outside uh, China. For example, I remember I had to travel to Brussels to the uh, European Commission just two or three days after there had been a recognition of a, an area of virus developed in Lombardy and I was traveling from Milan to Brussels. And when our flight landed in Brussels, there was zero control. I mean, they didn't even check our temperature, so to say, or whatever. So the feeling uh, is really that uh, we could have been more prepared. We were not at all. I mean, typically people are always worrying about... Uh, other threats uh, and uh, uh, such a health threat of pandemia was not uh, probably in the idea that uh, were foreseen. And this, of course, uh, created a rapid spread that, uh, spread that uh, indeed surprised me. And I think I'm not the only one who has been surprised by this, uh, let's say, delay of a in a serious reaction. As to optics industry, 
I think it re responded more or less um, as all high-tech industry, where they can rapidly turn to some production that can be used in this emergency situation, they do. Otherwise, what they do, at least in the experience of those uh, I know, but I guess it's quite general, they try to keep the production going as much as possible, of course, uh, in agreement with the restriction measures, but overall they can keep uh, a reasonable uh, uh, amount of production. And this, of course, uh, can be okay in the, on the short term, but uh, if this situation goes on uh, too much, uh, I guess that the source will rapidly be filled and at some point, if the whole production cycle and also the sale cycle does not go back to normal, they will be stacked and will have to stop. So I guess that uh, the response is quite, po quite positive. I mean, they try to keep going as much as they can. They try to respond to the needs whenever they can change something in the production. But this is some kind of short-term reaction, I would say. And of course, they are all discussing what to do if this goes on too much. Was there, uh, from your conversations with colleagues, any indication that remote detection or point-of-care optics technologies were being used more uh, in relation to treating this virus? I actually don't know of specific examples. However, this may be due to my ignorance of specific these cases. In general, researchers are willing to help, but handling a virus is quite frightening in some respect if you are not used to. And especially it requires a lot of certified safety and security measures that are not common in, typically common in optics lab, but not even in bio-optics or biophotonics labs. So uh, typically what happens is that, let's say, the photonics and optics people dealing with the optical technologies, point of care, optics technologies, try to um, make them available for studies on the virus or use with the virus, but they can't be directly involved because they don't have the sufficient knowledge to do that, uh, let's say, to work on that uh, independently. And when, and when you offer this kind of uh, new sensors or chips to medical doctors and virologists, if it's something they are already using, then, of course, they will be very happy. But if it's something new, due to this emergency situation, they actually prefer to work with what they already know and normally use. So I guess it's something that will change more for the future. For the future, I expect that we will adapt and extend our remote detection and point-of-care type optics technologies also to virus detection and uh, control and mapping. But it's uh, probably not for tomorrow unless uh, some system had already been set up for virus cases. When you're like having your meetings with your colleagues and uh, having these conversations about the current state of the industry, do you feel like this certain time has given them more motivation for the future, more optimism as far as the development of the technologies? Yes, for sure, more motivation. Uh, surely, yes, because uh, the feeling is that uh, actually optics and photonics can provide uh, uh, really good solutions. Uh, so there is for sure a strong motivation 
to be more involved in this kind of problems. We are reasonably optimistic that uh, uh, the needs that are coming up uh, will uh, make people uh, uh, more aware of the potentials of optics. This is also a problem, let's say, of communication. What we are trying to do is to communicate uh, how we could help, uh, but of course it's something that uh, needs to be developed for the future. Was there any point during this time that you've noticed you personally being affected by the virus or the quarantine? Have you had a sort of first-person perspective on how life has changed for you in this way? Yes, well, let's say that uh, uh, optics and photonics uh, rely strongly on uh, experimental activity for research uh, and also uh, in terms of uh, industry impact uh, Of course, I mean, much of the photonics industry deliver products, they don't deliver services. Of course, in research and development, you also have a lot of uh, modeling and uh, data analysis, results analysis. But let's say that the smart working from home strongly limits what can be done. And uh, if the quarantine will last for a long period, might have quite severe effects. Also, Even if in many countries, and in Italy in particular, research and high-tech industries are not forced to a complete shutdown, uh, the activity is somehow partially reduced. And also, as we said before, they can even uh, continue to uh, produce something. At some point, if the sales do not go back to normal, then uh, they will be uh, quite stuck. So I expect that uh, the impact... uh, both on research and development activity and on industry, if the situation goes on uh, uh, for a long time, may be quite uh, tough. Also, the other point is, uh, in terms of uh, industry, is that uh, uh, most of the industries in photonics are uh, small, medium enterprises. And you have also a lot of uh, spin-offs that are uh, related to, let's say, research groups at university. And of course, in this situation, uh, they are strongly affected. And while large industries may have, let's say, a sufficient critical mass uh, to be able to overcome longer period of crisis, this is not true for these uh, small, medium enterprises or for uh, university and uh, research center spin-offs that are just in the growing phase, typically, And, uh, of course, uh, if the crisis goes on uh, too long, they might never be able to grow enough to become viable. How does uh, communication get affected during a situation like this when you're trying to keep these startups thriving, but everyone's quarantined? Is there a communication barrier at this time? Yes, well, we are trying, uh, let's say, to plan the start of the activity as soon as we go back. So we try to have some contingency plan, but there are a few problems that uh, are not easy to solve. For example, uh, you may have, uh, you typically have temporary workers in this kind of uh, small enterprises. And, of course, you have enough money uh, to pay them for a certain period of development. But uh, if the crisis goes on too long, uh, you may, of course, uh, even obtain some 
let's say, recognition of possible delay in uh, a product delivery or uh, in the development of uh, a new product, something like that. But you won't get more money. You simply will get more time. But if you don't have enough, uh, if you don't find further money, you will not be able to keep paying the people. So there might be quite some quite critical situation in this respect. Uh, let's say that the problem with the spin-off and startup that are, let's say, in their launching phase is typically that uh, uh, you get some financial support either through projects uh, or through uh, venture capital and uh, you hire persons on a, a temporary basis to start, uh, let's say, the business, the R&D of uh, uh, new activity and products. And uh, clearly in this situation, any funding agency and uh, I expect also venture capitalists understand that you may have some delay. So they will give you more time to do what you had planned, but uh, they won't uh, normally give you more money. So you need somehow some continue. Of course, I mean, the money that is spent in the activity is not being spent while the activity doesn't go on. But if you are paying people, you keep paying them and uh, you reach to be in a situation where you have enough money, you have enough time, but you no longer have enough money to keep paying the people until the project is uh, brought uh, to a viable and uh, self-sustainable situation. So I think we will have to take care and uh, be sure that uh, we can uh, somehow uh, find solutions to make these situations uh, viable. Of course, I mean, uh, that depends a lot on how long this uh, situation will last. Uh, if it's uh, a couple or three months, then I am quite confident that we can overcome the problem. But uh, should it go on longer than that, then it might really be a bit risky for some situations. Do you have a feeling of when you might think things will go back to normal? If we look at the example of uh, China, we can expect uh, to be able to go back uh, to a progressively normal situation in a few months. I mean, they are not back to normal, but they are slowly setting in place a trend to normal uh, activity. So I hope it will be more or less the same here. The problem is that uh, uh, the virus is spreading all over the world. So let's say a part of the world is going back to normal and progressively this moves. So in this uh, situation where everything goes global, the overall time where you have to find contingency measures may be longer than the specific time of crisis uh, in a geographical area. Do you see the industry sort of fundamentally changed going forward? Yes, I think we will have some take-home messages. Uh, for example, we are experiences, experiencing that indeed uh, many things can be done in smart working. So I guess that uh, especially for everything that is related to uh, normal administration, smart working will probably grow. I guess the policy of travels might 
uh, be partially changed. I expect there will be somehow more, uh, uh, we will be more careful about uh, traveling around because indeed we, it, it comes out that not all travels were really that much necessary. But overall, I don't expect a major changes in photonics industry since the hardware part of the production is the key issue. So that uh, has to be done, uh, let's say, as usual. We, we can't really change that. Do you, I, I talked to you about this a little while ago, but what do you think about the anything that might be learned from the crisis in Italy that rephrase this what do you uh, see if anything that the u.s might be able to learn from the current situation in italy well uh, it's probably a bit too early uh, to understand uh, what we can uh, give to the others as messages because we are still in the middle of the crisis uh, so it's really a bit early to be able to transmit uh, strong messages on how companies can pass through this pandemic, for example. But I think there are already uh, some take-home messages that uh, we can consider. Uh, one is uh, the need to be able to adapt to circumstances uh, and to be able to adapt the production lines uh, to uh, possible urgent needs that uh, were not foreseen. Uh, the other uh, lesson that uh, we need to learn is that uh, uh, companies should somehow not depend 100% on external supplies. I mean, globalization is uh, a good thing, has helped a lot economy to grow and uh, make many things, but uh, that works very well in normal times when, uh, let's say, circulation is easy, movements are easy, and uh, distances are uh, reduced thanks to the uh, present uh, traveling possibilities. But this pandemic is telling us that uh, we had not foreseen any contingency plan against this kind of restrictions. So I think we need for the future to be able to know that uh, there might be situations where we need to work a bit uh, more in a standalone way. And uh, this is a message that uh, we can surely pass over. And last but not least, uh, competition is a strong push and has been a strong push in our uh, society and uh, economy. However, when uh, you have to face emergencies, uh, it comes out that uh, open science and uh, open innovation can be viable models that help a lot for uh, uh, survival and to face uh, really bad emergencies and as the one we are living through. Do you, have you noticed any changes or conversations about the supply chain of optics that it might be impacted now or in the future? Well, yes. I mean, not really uh, in practice up to now, because, uh, of course, when you have to face the crisis, it's not easy to change completely uh, under the pressure of the crisis. But indeed, it's something people are discussing a lot about, at least on the point of view of, of uh, having, uh, let's say, sufficient store to face possible uh, unexpected drop 
uh, drops in uh, uh, circulation of uh, goods. I mean, many people think that they should uh, plan in the future with a bit more attention to uh, possible uh, emergency situations uh, and not thinking that uh, everything will be just, uh, let's say, online order away in a, a few days. I was wondering, if, do you have any advice for photonics companies based on the reactions that we've seen, uh, the economic and social impact of the virus? Do you have any advice for uh, companies looking for guidance in this time? I think that uh, in the future, let's say some long-term planning uh, should be taken more care of. Uh, I mean, many uh, industries tend to work on the uh, short term. And uh, of course, when a, a, an emergency situation comes up, if you are working on the short term period, uh, then uh, you risk to lose much more than if you are working on long term uh, planning. This is especially true for uh, uh, small, medium enterprises. Also, the other uh, big issue is that uh, nowadays uh, it's quite common to, uh, let's say, products that uh, can give you more, uh, uh, a higher gain, uh, playing on the fact that uh, uh, they are more fancy or they are more fashionable or this kind of things. But when it comes to a really critical situation, what people look for becomes something much more essential. So I think that industries should always find, keep a balance between a production that is just targeting, let's say, easier gain, as to say, and uh, a production that is really targeting uh, societal challenges and uh, the real needs of people, because this will be those uh, that uh, will uh, be necessary in any situation. So if there is a reasonable balance among the two, probably an equilibrium is uh, easier to uh, be reached and uh, an industry will be much more self-sustainable if uh, they have, let's say, a, a also a bunch of products that addresses real needs uh, of uh, the population and of the society. Turning to your career and achievements, I'm just wondering if you were to think about the challenges and victories in your career up to today, are there any achievements that you that stand out in your mind that you're particularly proud of or any challenges that uh, you're facing today that you may not have thought you would have faced years ago? Well, I wouldn't say that uh, there are challenges I am facing today that came really unexpected. But what surely changed uh, during my career was uh, the way of facing challenges. Uh, I mean, when I was younger, I would give absolute priority to purely scientific challenges uh, in terms of uh, discovering new knowledge and this kind of things. Whereas nowadays, I tend to look at the scientific challenges much more in the frame of the societal challenges of their potential impact on uh, human well-being. 
So I think it's rather the way you look at things that uh, changes uh, a lot rather than uh, what you could foresee as uh, the kind of challenges you have to face. Concerning uh, say what I feel about my career and what I have done, uh, well, of course, I've been uh, always uh, uh, very fond of uh, research, so I am quite uh, happy of uh, having been able to work in research in optics and photonics technologies and uh, their applications, in particular in the fields of biomedical applications at the beginning of my career and more recently on technological development in different fields, again biomedical, but also, for example, integrated quantum optics. But uh, if I look back, uh, I think that uh, what I am more proud of uh, is the idea of having transmitted uh, my motivations and my knowledge uh, to uh, my students, especially to my PhD students. And when I see their uh, international success, I am really proud of having initiated them to this kind of uh, work and activity. And also I am uh, happy about the activity that uh, I've done and I am doing uh, Within uh, uh, the different societies and organizations I am uh, working with, like, for example, the, well, of course, the International Commission for Optics, but also the European uh, Optical Society and uh, the European Technology Platform and the Public-Private Partnership Photonics 21, where I am working on the promotion of optics and photonics uh, in ICO with a special focus on developing country and at the European level also for the road mapping of photonics research and innovation. I think that with the years, I mean, what we should try to do is uh, take advantage of our experience in uh, uh, research and the technology development and somehow to uh, give something back uh, to um, the society, trying to transform our experience in strategies for the future. You also recently won the Robert E. Hopkins Leadership Award from OSA. Uh, are there any notes from that that you take? How you feel about winning that award and what you might want to pass along to your PhD students as far as key points that you would strive to communicate? Well, uh, uh, photonics uh, uh, is uh, surely optics and photonics, let's say, and uh, all the related technologies uh, are surely uh, very important uh, and uh, they are essential uh, to meet uh, all major challenges uh, of future so-called smart societies. Uh, they are a key element for the digitalization of the society. They are for sure a key uh, technology to achieve uh, better use of technology for many, many applications. They play a major role in sensing, manufacturing, communication, life science, many other important applications. But one thing one should also think about is that photonics is not a standalone technology. Most solutions and market deployment need not only photonics, but they need a cross, this whole key enabling technologies, a cross cat approach that combines optics and photonics on one side, but with the micro nanoelectronics, advanced materials, nanotechnologies. And I think that both in research and in industry, one should always try to move forward 
and uh, address, uh, let's say, the needs of uh, system develop developers that can combine both of the light-based technologies and the other key enabling technologies to find uh, solutions that can really uh, solve and address the problems, uh, exploiting the best of all technologies. So I think that uh, uh, being um, careful about the possible interdisciplinary approach is one of the key for the success in the future. And also another message that I would like to uh, pass over is that uh, despite photonics uh, is uh, indeed uh, for many aspects nowadays a mature technology, that are, there are still many areas to explore that can uh, pave the way for future breakthrough and for real long-term innovation. So people shouldn't think, okay, we are already able to do many, many good things with photonics. Let's simply try to apply present photonics technology to all possible problems. One should also uh, look forward and uh, try, still try to find uh, new approaches in photonics. One field that I think is very promising is the uh, so-called extreme light uh, approach, where with extreme light uh, you can uh, actually consider different aspects. Uh, it can be extreme in, er in energy. We nowadays can uh, reach petawatt in energy with lasers, for example. It is extreme. It may be extreme in energy. We can uh, provide laser sources going from X-ray on one side to terahertz on the other side. And it can be as extreme in temporal characteristics going down to attosecond pulses, which allow you to follow, let's say, the evolution, to diagnose the evolution of uh, processes in nature at the very, very shortest, the, the, the shortest possible uh, um, time scale. With this extreme, with these different kinds, let's say, of extreme light, uh, you can actually uh, explore radiation matter interaction in uh, really new regimes, and this uh, can open up for the future new, completely new application areas. Another field that I think is uh, very interesting to explore is the use of photons uh, as uh, qubits, uh, the so-called quantum bits. Uh, and this opens the whole area of quantum photonics, which again has great potentials, especially not only in quantum computing, but uh, using photons, I would say, especially in secure communications and sensing. So I think there is, uh, there are still a lot of uh, exciting things to study in photonics and uh, not only to apply what we already know to uh, practical problems. And finally, I just want to ask you, what's something going on in the optics field that you wish would get more attention? Well, apart from the, say, opportunities in uh, new research areas for photonics that I just uh, discussed before, another aspect that I think is very important for photonics is that uh, uh, light-based technologies are, are likely to provide uh, low-cost and environmental-friendly solutions in many application fields like life science, uh, uh, agri-food, energy, security. And thus they give us uh, a great opportunity at the, on the social point of view to reduce the gap between rich countries and the developing ones. 
I think that photonic technologies are something that could be easily exported, let's say, um, in developing countries. And we should really help them to promote photonic solution because uh, overall they turn out to be really viable solutions and uh, technologies uh, that, uh, let's say, are economically uh, easier probably to use uh, than uh, other uh, high-tech uh, fields. So I think we should really promote the use uh, of uh, photonics also in this, uh, let's say, social direction. That was Roberta Ramponi. She's the director of the CNR Institute for Photonics and Nanotechnology and the president of the International Commission for Optics and the recent OSA winner for the Robert E. Hopkins Leadership Award. Dr. Mpony, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. That'll do it for this episode of All Things Photonics. Thank you to our guests, Roberta Ramponi. Our engineers are Alan Shepard and Brian Healy. Our featured artist is Kid Animal out of Los Angeles. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite music app. Thank you most of all to you, our listeners. If you have a suggestion for a story or you just want to reach out, you can email us at allthingsatphotonics.com. All Things Photonics is available on all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google. Subscribe wherever you may be listening and never miss a new episode. You can also subscribe to this podcast on our website, photonics.com slash podcast, where you will find episode notes, links to complete stories you heard, and some interesting side stories that didn't make it in. I'm your host, Emmett Warren. You've been listening to a Photonics Media production.